0: Is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors.
1: The commissioners for Manatee County in Florida have declared racism a public health crisis.
0: The uh, metrics for uh, health are disproportionately. negative for uh, people of color.
1: The chair of the commission, Betsy Banak, joins us to talk about how important this is and how difficult it
0: may
2: be. Uh, Manatee County is, you know, part of the Old South. It just simply is.
0: Coming up in this episode of Colors...
1: The Story of a Slave. And the case for reparations.
2: The white owner, uh, mother, came in, saw this. She um, slapped um, Leah so hard, nearly knocked her out the chair. And then she proceeded to um, beat her for forgetting um, that the left breast was only reserved for her white baby.
3: Explain to the the white guy here why reparations are needed, partly from me, even though we recognize my family had had no slaves ever.
2: Reparations isn't about you it's not about your family it's about america that's coming up
0: in this episode of colors simmering racial tensions
1: Segregation
2: now and tomorrow and forever
1: fighting injustice
3: i have a dream
1: conflict looming
2: don't just us, don't
1: brutality exposed i
0: can't breathe i can't breathe the search for solutions starts here from WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.
1: I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black.
3: I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. And this is Colors. Well, JJ, we have never had a returning guest on our podcast ever until today. Today, we invite back Michelle Singletary, who is a nationally syndicated columnist. She gives financial advice in her column called The Color of Money. But we're going to talk about something a little bit different today because she's also done some research and written some pieces about reparations. And JJ, you and I touched on this uh, a while ago in one of our podcasts, and uh, I don't well, I'll just speak for myself. I wasn't really prepared to address the topic and, and I kind of slept it off. But after reading what Michelle has written, I am now eager to discuss the topic of reparation. So, Michelle Singletary, welcome back to Colors and thank you for the very thoughtful pieces you've written.
2: Oh, I'm so glad to be back. Thanks for a firstie for me. I appreciate that.
3: Well, let's, let's start if, if we can, and, and there's a reason I wanna do this, and I'm just gonna advise the audience, this story is not for the faint-hearted. Um, please set this up, there's a relationship, folks, so just hang in there. Set this up by telling us what happened with your great-grandmother, Leah, having to do with her breastfeeding. Can you tell us that story, and that kind of will get us underway?
2: Sure, right. So it was my uh, grandmother's great-grandmother, um, who was a slave, Leah Drumwright, in North Carolina. Uh, and it's a story that's been passed down um, to me from my grandmother because it, um, she always wanted us to remember how brutal slavery was. And so Leah worked in the plantation owner's home, um, free, she was a slave, um, cooking and cleaning and taking care of their children. And so there was an incident where she had delivered a child and the white owner, her white owner had delivered a child. And she was what they call back then the wet nurse. So she was ordered to nurse the white baby, but there were strict instructions. She could only nurse the white baby on her left breast and only her child on the right breast. And the reason she was given was that the right breast was closer to the heart so the milk was better. The and left
3: left breast, you mean? The
2: left breast, correct. And um. <laughs> and and the best milk had to go to the white baby. Uh, mm-hmm. And so yeah. One- tell
3: tell the story about what happened because this is the part that.
2: Yeah. So one night, um, Leah, after working, you know, slaves worked from sunup to sundown. They didn't get you no know, lunch breaks or anything. She was extremely tired, and so she was nursing her own child in the kitchen with the fire roaring and she sort of fell asleep as mothers do, I did it myself, you fall asleep, you switch the baby almost automatically. And she switched her own black child to her own left breast. The white owner, uh, mother came in, saw this, she um, slapped um, Leah so hard, nearly knocked her out the chair. And then she proceeded to um, beat her for forgetting Um, that the left breast was only reserved for her white baby.
3: Well, the reason I wanted to tell that story is to sort of get an idea about the horrors of um, slavery that perhaps, uh, you know, go beyond. did, Did that story affect you, J.J., as much as it did me?
1: Well, yes, it did. Yes.
3: All right, let's let's then all right i'll begin by asking the white guy question and i I know your answer michelle but let's 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 get into it this way sure all right my family did not arrive in the united states until 20 some years after the civil war they were peasants they had no money they lived in uh, at the beginning in minnesota after they traveled from new york and then eventually down in iowa um Obviously they didn't have slaves. They were incredibly poor uh, and they lived off the land. And my uh, great-grandmother was a baker and my great-grandfather was a lout who deserted the family. So my great-grandmother had to raise her kids by herself baking. So we have no history. And even though I recognize white privilege, we have no history in our family of slavery literally impossible uh, with my family. So let's get to reparations. Explain to the, the white guy here what reparations would do and, and why reparations are needed, partly from me, even though we recognized my family had, had no slaves ever.
2: That's a very common scenario in, in the way you set it up. But I want to turn it on you, Chris, mm-hmm. because this reparations isn't about you. It's not about your family. It's about America. Uh, and so oftentimes the opposition to reparations, people take it very personal that I didn't own slaves, my family didn't benefit and yet America uh, benefited. The reason why your family probably might, um, immigrated here is because of the opportunities that were, were available in America. And those opportunities were greater because America started off its history, enslaving millions of people benefiting from their free labor, those buildings you live in, those railroads you ride on, those streets that you walk on or drive on built by enslaved people. And so it's not about you. It's about America recognizing that they have never, never paid those folks for um, the, the, the tragedies that they inflicted on them. And so you've got to take it away from you. And and I like Chris. Chris, you know, I love you. I admire you. But it's very selfish to set it up that way. Because what you're saying is, this is what I hear. And I know this is not what you mean. But you're saying is, well, I didn't have anything to do with it. So you shouldn't get paid. And when I say get paid, it's not as if Blacks are sitting around like, where's my check? What we're saying is, is that our government, and here's the key part about reparations. This wasn't an individual situation. It wasn't like these white folks over here decided to discriminate against Black folks, so only they should be held responsible. Our federal government created, supported, and promulgated laws that kept folks, once we were freed, still enslaved. So they prevented us from buying homes and having certain kinds of jobs and traveling. And the replications of slavery was that families were torn apart. Men were imprisoned for just standing on the corner. So there were hundreds and thousands of black men removed from their families under a system called Black Codes, where white plantation owners and businesses still wanted cheap labor. And so they devised a way to get that cheap labor by imprisoning mostly black men. So if those black men are now not in their homes, they can't support those families, which sets up a whole legacy of black men not being in their family and being mass incarcerated and killed while they're in prison. So I started by saying this, it's not about you. It's about America, Americans recognizing that everybody has benefited from this free labor and and the segregation and discrimination and structural uh, systemic racism that still goes on today if you are Black.
1: Yeah. Chris, I think you should have an opportunity to respond to that.
3: Well, I I told this... I asked the question by saying I'm going to ask the white guy question for a reason, uh, and and when I said to you earlier, JJ, that I at least wasn't prepared to discuss this back when it came up very casually in one of our earlier podcasts. Uh, for the first time, I get it the way you the way you said it, Michelle, just now, and the way you said it in your writing, I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I in fact I agree with it now, and I this is the first time, and it's really not a matter of any. Uh, Bad feelings on my part. I just didn't didn't get it. So you and I didn't
2: feel those bad feelings. If I, I mean, I I sounded passionate, but not. I'm not angry at you. Well, I know. That's, yeah. that's how you see it, and that's how many white Americans see it. I get it. Listen, if you're black in America, you have to have a, a understanding that goes so deep, because if you don't, <laughs> you'll go crazy. You'll just go crazy. Uh, And so I understand that some people listening still might not get it. Why should they get a check? That happened so long ago, except it didn't just happen long ago. As I wrote in my column, don't look at it in terms of years. Look at it in terms of generations. Mm -hmm. So I'm in my, you know, I hate to say this because I think I sound 29, but I'm (laughs) in my late 50s. So in my lifetime, you're listening to me right now, in my lifetime. I was not able to live in some of your neighborhoods. In my lifetime,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I was not able to work. I would not have been able to work where you work. In my lifetime, I could be lynched for being sassy to a white person. So this this is for us. Reparations isn't about something that happened 200 and some years ago. It's now. Our injustice is still now. I am still discriminated against. When I walk down the street, people don't see Michelle Singletary, you know, giving me credit for being, you know, columnist for the Washington Post. They see a black woman. When my son drives his car and he leaves my house to go back to his college campus, my son, who's, on, you know, 3.0 student, math major, the cop doesn't know that. He sees a black boy, black, because they still don't think of him that way, black behind the wheel, and they won't give him grace if they pull him over. That's still out now. And that is all part of what happened with slavery and still happening. And so when we talk about reparations, it's not again, it's not about, you know, we're sort of trying to profit off of your guilt. We're saying this country never paid for all those decades of free labor that allowed America to be prosperous.
1: I have been quiet um, so far because, not that I don't have a view on this or an opinion, um, but because um, you know I've got a story, but I'm not going to tell that story now because this is not about me. This is not about you, Chris, and not even about Michelle. It's about what she said. So you've seen those situations where people say what he said or what she said. <laughs> That's what I'm saying right now. It's There's no question about it. There never has been. And, you know, Michelle's story is great. Uh, uh, it's sad. It's difficult. It's not unique. But it's great, and it's great to hear now for people who— were never exposed to it, and and they shouldn't be condemned for not knowing that story, but it it was a real thing. And there are other things worse than that that took place uh, to black men, black women, black children uh, throughout those years and, and even up to today. We know the genesis of this program was because a black man died on a dirty street in Minneapolis with a white police officer's knee on his neck, while the world essentially watched because it was being live streamed. So the question about reparations is something that goes well beyond that story from Michelle then and this story of George Floyd today, how he got there, the pain and all that. And the question I would ask you, and I put it in this context, We, the thing that Chris will tell you and anyone else who knows me, I'm, you know, the stories are good. But you, Michelle, are um, um, you're a superhero, as I said on our first engagement, because of what you've done with your your articles over the years. But how do we do this? How do we do the reparations? How do, what are the nuts and bolts?
2: That's a great question, and um, you know, I, and again, I'm very honored to be on this program, and I'm glad that we're having these candid conversations. Um, that is why I wrote the column. So I'm going to answer your question in this way. It is not for me right now in this conversation of how we do reparations because of the, we, gotta, we have to take a first step to acknowledge that they are deserved. And unless we take that step, anything I recommend, it's going to fall on deaf ear. I mean, Chris, it took well, you, what, a nanosecond to say I got it? But you're unique because when they survey America, uh, Americans, they'll say, yeah, yeah, we know racism is bad and it's it happened. But then you would, uh, ask them about reparations. Oh, no. So, Michelle, and so we got to we gotta get there first before we come up with how do we do this?
1: Let me let me jump in and say something. One of the problems that we're facing now and the reason I ask that question is mm-hmm. I'm looking at us after we deal with that problem, Right. how okay. we do it after we do the problem that we're dealing with right now in this country is something that's called truth decay. Truth decay, for those who aren't familiar with it, is uh, essentially the equating of truth and flat out lies as equals and situations where people simply will not uh, acknowledge what they're being told, which is factual and truthful by reputable people because they simply don't want to hear it or don't want to believe it. We have to get to a point which, you know, it, it may be hard and it may take a little while uh, for people to move beyond this idea of, OK, I don't like that idea, so I'm not going to believe it. But it's going to come. It's going to happen because people are starting now, especially since this election that we've had, to come face to face with the truth, the truth about what happened in the election, the truth about what's happening with COVID-19. People are dying saying, no, I don't have COVID, when in fact they do, the proof, truth always wins. Lying, you have to tell another lie to cover that lie, and you have to keep going. Eventually, we will get to that point where people are going to come back around to what at least is normal in this country. That was the reason why I asked the question about when we, I should have said when we get there. So assuming we get there, do you have any thoughts on how we move forward on this?
2: Yes, I do. And um, I'm going to refer to a source that if you're listening and you really want um, to understand this issue and not just relate to it on a um, gut level that you want the facts. One book that I recommend that you read is From Here to Equality, uh, Reparations for Black Americans in the 21st Century. And the authors in this book in the last part of the book talk about how we do reparations. And one of the things that we could do is create a congressional committee or commission to do truth telling so people know why we're doing this and then make recommendations. So the authors, one of the things they recommend is perhaps a trust fund that will be created, funded by the federal government that would then give out grants um, to um, Black Americans who have um, a direct ancestral uh, relatives to slavery. So a trust fund could be created, and from that fund, uh, kids could go to college, or people, or blacks can set up businesses or fund their businesses, um, or, or 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 you know maybe childcare. I mean, just it, it could help in all kinds of ways. It could be targeted. Um, Need-based targeted, for example, like I don't need reparations, nor would I, I, if it was offered, I'd probably give it to somebody else anyway. So maybe we look at who's in the most need. Um, So there is ways and there is, we can do this. Um, and that's, I think what you're asking is that people are like, well, how do you do this? We've done operations um, in the past, Japanese Americans who were interned, um, and uh, Germany has done a great job of compensating um, the victims of Holocaust. So it is not as if we don't know how to do it. Uh, and I think, you know, we pull together, there are great minds who can put together a proposal uh, that would be fair and that would put reparations on the table.
3: Yeah, I, and I think this is the part of your article that opened my eyes. It's not like the government's gonna send out a check to every uh, black family in America. It's a matter of having a trust fund for, for example, sending kids to college who parents can't afford to send them for lots of different reasons, but maybe having a separate trust fund, uh, college funds, so kids can go to college, maybe to help uh, set up more banks Uh, that will uh, lend money to um, African-Americans, black banks as they're often referred to. They wouldn't necessarily have to be black banks, but you understand my point. Put building more hospitals so that there is healthcare in areas that is underserved right now. Um, So there are lots of different ways to do it. And that was really what I had never really understood the process for reparations until I read your article. And then I started thinking about it and I thought, you know, that that does make some sense. Uh, and I, I think that probably would work. I don't. It's never going to make up for it. I mean, there's just no way you can ever make up for it, but it might be a step in the right direction, and, you know, if we can help everybody a little bit to level the playing field, we're a better country.
2: That's right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the Black communities have been devastated um, by a number of things. Um, we, we, we often... And, and people who argue against reparations will say things like, well, you know, look at Black people killing each other or having babies out of wedlock as if, There's no reason behind some of that. Now, I'm a person who believes in personal responsibility, right? I, you know, do the right thing, go to school, you know, save your money. You
3: are the queen (laughs) of responsibility, if you don't mind my saying so.
2: (laughs) Right, right. So I'm not an apologist. We're not trying to be victims. But you got to put this stuff in context. So why are all these young Black men Doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Well, where are their dads? Let me see. Hmm, they are in jail. Hmm, why are they in jail? Because if they commit a crime, it, and a white person creates a crime, it's they're more likely to go to jail. The white person is more likely to get help or probation. And so now you've moved. And let's take it even further back to um to the black codes that I mentioned in Jim Crow, where you know black men were uh, they criminalized um unemployment and why were they unemployment because white people wouldn't give them jobs so you see what i'm saying it's a cycle that has created um chaos in our communities and then white folks want to know well why can't you get over that tell someone who has a substance abuse problem why can't you just get over it you know why not create a trust fund that would put in communities, um, drug rehabilitation um, centers or community centers or places for these young men to go Mm -hmm. um, so that they aren't on the streets. That was orchestrated by the way, by the housing authorities when they built black communities they didn't fund those communities. Well, there weren't they would they would put them so far off from town that it took people forever to get to the jobs. Um, and so but in white communities, they put community centers, they put health care centers, they put the things in their communities that would help them thrive. Our communities, not so much. So now you understand. And they warehoused us. So we were like, well, why are they all crowded in these places? Because they couldn't live anywhere else. And so it's just like crabs in a pot and you turn up the heat, what happens? They fight each other because they have nowhere to go. Why don't they have anywhere to go? Because the government has systematic structural discrimination, racism, uh, things in place to keep all those Blacks in that pot. So while maybe the crab at the top can jump out of the pot, there leaves a whole lot of other crabs at the bottom who can't get out.
1: You know, there's something that took place in 1995 that I think may be a, of assistance as a, as a template here. And it's called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission right. that was uh, impaneled in South Africa right after the end of apartheid. And I'm not sure how much you know about this, but this was a process where um, the mandate of that particular commission, if I remember correctly, was to to bear out witness to and uh, I think record and in some cases grant amnesty to perpetrators of crimes related to human rights violations, as well as offering reparations and rehabilitation to the victims. Now, this lasted years. The process is something I think would go beyond or would have to be different from a political hearing because the polarization that exists right now uh, and who knows how long it will exist. uh, I pitch this question as one, after we get past the problems that we have with each other as a country, Uh, and maybe we can get to a point where we realize that we all have a right to, to be in this country and they're all a little bit more equal than some people think we are now. And we can start discussing this, but this may be a scenario whereby there need to be other people in the ecosystem of trying to get to some kind of uh, reparation process. We start talking about this in in other segments of our uh, society. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that, Michelle.
2: Um, I, I Can I say ditto? <laughs> huh. Everything that you just said. You know, I um, I was in uh, South Africa when Nelson Mandela was elected president. I was actually covering the elections for the Washington Post. Uh, and so I'm very familiar with what happened there. And, mm-hmm. and there is still a lot of problems there now, even um, after they elected Nelson Mandela. And see, that's the thing that we're talking about. So we have a country that recognized that had those hearings, you know, truth um, and, and did some truth telling and they still can't get it right. So there's a lot that we can learn from that. But I, I, I totally agree um, that we need to put together um, the best of our minds um, that can tackle this issue, but we gotta bring people to the table. And you're right, everybody, it, you know, blacks and whites and the politicians and business owners to make this happen. And we will all be better for it, right? Crime will go down. Black kids can go to school and get jobs and be educated. And you're, you won't be worried about going to certain communities. Um, I don't understand why people don't realize that racism, the systemic racism that still is in place, damages all of us, all of our bottom lines. That I just don't get.
1: Well, I think a part of it, and I'll throw it to you, Chris, is that a lot of people get their news from YouTube, yeah. and um, or Parler, non sources that are not credible. And a part of the reason for that is because we, as media, have lost our own credibility because some of us have sold it out in the way in which we engage uh, some networks, some stations, like you know, some you know publications are no longer viewed as credible. This is what some of the U.S.'s adversaries have wanted for a long time, namely Russia. But I'm not going to throw, I'm not going to blame Russia for this problem. We have this had this problem internally in our country for decades, hundreds of years, if you look at it realistically. But the issue that we're still wrestling with is people not, not knowing the truth, not being educated about reality. And that's the step that I think has to take we have to take before we get to reparations because they have to happen and they will happen. The question is how long is it going to take us to get there, Chris?
3: Yeah. You, you know, you and I talked about this in a, a previous podcast, um, is that there was a time that w- what we call the media, which basically is radio television and newspapers, magazines, because before the internet um, there was an attempt made to be objective um, when you did reporting, and that's long since gone. Um, and the programs that are popular now are opinion programs. And uh, I, I'll give you an example. They're Chris in Cuomo. the truth decay. <laughs> Pardon me. They're
1: in the truth decay.
3: Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Chris Cuomo uh, does a show on CNN. It's a good show, but he even says, "Look, I, am I'm, I'm not an objective journalist. I, I I'm in a, I'm in a, opi- I'm in the opinion business." And um, so then that's okay, but people have to understand when they're turning on after a certain hour, when they're turning on CNN or Fox or MSNBC, those programs are not news programs, those programs are opinion programs. And I think the line has been blurred so badly, JJ, that um, people don't can't distinguish and that gets to tooth decay, as you say, truth decay, sorry. (laughs) Well,
2: Michelle, so, you know, so interesting as I've been doing um, a lot of research for the columns, just reading back, we actually it's, it's funny you should say that because um, the media actually was never quite as unbiased as we' like to think. Um, when I was looking at in particular reparations and I my, my upcoming column is about black businesses and how they've been impacted by um, um, structural racism. You look at uh, the newspapers uh, have always uh, not told the truth when it came to African-Americans. So for example, when I, in, in the column I'm writing, I talk about um, convict leasing, where they in, um, instituted uh, vagrancy laws so that they could sweep black guys off the street so they could be basically free labor to plantation owners. Uh, and the papers, when when journalists tried to uh, write about this, the papers would d- uh, dispel that it was actually happening. So I'm not sure if we're actually in a truth decay. We've always been in a truth decay. It's just that we know more about it now. It's more transparent, but uh, trust me on this, you know, a lot of our newspapers, the ones even I work for, you know, we're, we're not telling the truth. We're ignoring Black communities and, and um, continuing the stereotypes um, that people hold today.
1: Good point. We are about to run out of time. Yeah. Um, but I will say this and uh, throw it to you two for something to close. You're right. Truth decay didn't start today. It didn't start yesterday. It didn't start last night. It started a long time ago. It's the recognition of it that, that we're arriving at again, at this point, And a part of the reason for it being more problematic than it's ever been is because of the multiplicity of news sources or sources of information that people confuse as news. And some of those sources, as Chris mentioned, their purpose is to confuse and at the same time masquerading as news organizations. So those are things we have to wrestle with. But I do think that uh, you made a great point, Michelle, about reparations. And I'm glad you did.
3: Yeah, I am I am too. Michelle Singletary, thank you for being our perhaps only return guest we'll have. Who knows? But <laughs> certainly the first one we've ever had. And and congratulations on your on your work on, on reparations and all the other stuff you do. You're a wonderful writer, and I've always enjoyed reading you. So thank you for being a guest again.
2: Right. And and if I I hope you include this in the program, but I just want to thank you, Chris. Um, it is not easy to listen to this stuff if you're a white American, because even if you are and you are a fantastic person and I I, I, I don't think you have a racist bone in your body, um, but it doesn't mean that you can't be biased. And the oh, sure. fact that you were able to say what you said and listen to me and we can have this conversation. It means a lot to me. Good. Right. Um,
3: well, that makes me because that's
2: all we want. We just want you to listen and and know that we aren't, um, we're not trying to get something from America. We're trying to get what we were owed, and that was never delivered. And so it's very important that you listen and know the truth because slavery didn't just happen so long ago that it's still not today. And if you just do that, if you just listen and open your minds and your hearts, that's all that we ask.
3: I think that's a good place to wrap it up.
2: All right, right.
1: um, Michelle, thank you and uh, we'll see you next time. I'm sure there probably will be a next time based on your (laughs) prolific writing.
0: Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you both.
0: You're listening to Colors. My name is Deborah Schwartz and I am a white woman who identifies as Jewish. I am increasingly overwhelmed by the unrelenting persistence of racism. It rears its ugly head every day in so many ways because so many white people contribute to it, often without awareness. There is so much that people learn from birth, so much bias and privilege that we need to undo. We need urgently to rebuild our culture. Black, brown, and white people need to figure out how to do this with some shared generosity and love. If we don't, I worry that our future will be lost in a divisive sea of rage
2: hello my name is carol brown from wheaton maryland i think america needs to come to grips with its racist past and all people need to work together to defeat white supremacy
0: this is colors a dialogue on race in america
3: well michelle singletary remains one of the uh my favorite guests um we could talk to her every week i mean she's really really good and and uh, and she's very candid. and you know what it is jj she is passionate. And I love that because it's easy. We've had many guests on who start off cool and then maybe after a while they get passionate. But um, she is right from the beginning. uh, She wears her heart on her sleeve.
1: Yeah, she does. And with good reason, that story about her great-great-grandmother is not a story that you will soon, one will soon forget. And a part of the reason why I was just quiet during that situation is because I've heard of things like that before. And uh, it's never easy to hear because you just kind of put yourself back into that time frame when something like that could possibly happen, and it's yeah. pretty overwhelming. It A lot is. of people you know, have asked me if I've watched certain movies about slavery and certain situations you know, related to the treatment of African Americans in this country. And some of them I just say no, and they ask me why. I said because I don't need to watch it to know it. I understand it. I've heard firsthand stories or secondhand stories from family members. I don't need Hollywood to tell me that story, not to take anything away from what Hollywood does and how they do that, but because uh, there are audiences and people who've never known that story, and I'm glad they're doing it. But for me, I'm okay. But her story is very moving. And yeah, so I was kind of quiet about that but i do recognize that situation is is is, is a very very difficult situation to, yeah. to, to deal with
3: two two things one is um it, it, i'm not saying this for you i'll say this for our white listeners especially if you haven't seen 12 years of Slave, see it it's going to be hard to sit through it's going to be very unpleasant you're not going to want to watch it again sit through it once because you'll learn a lot and you'll feel a lot yeah um I, I I came up with a, a thought, um, and this had to do with engage having people engage with each other who are of different races. And this I got to think about this after our conversation. I believe it was last week, in which the commissioner in Manatee County said, who was black, says he feels like he's had a knee on his neck his entire life. And uh, and I asked you if you felt like that, and and you said yes. In many ways, yes. So if you are a white person and you feel comfortable with a black friend from work let's say um there is a question you could ask hey i just heard this program in which these guys were talking about a, a black man who feels like he's always had he's always felt a knee on the back of his neck his whole life do you feel like that and if the person is comfortable talking about it you'll have a good conversation so that's a way to ask that question that that, you know, we've discussed how do you, you know, some, some people they're not going to want to talk about, both black and white, but some people are. More people are, I think, where people are now than ever before.
1: You know, I think that's a great idea. I do. And, you know, I would even take it a little bit further. Let's flip the script and go this route. You know, you may not be black or you may not be white. You may be any race. You know, uh, and you can ask a friend that same question. Because one of the problems that we face in the dialogues that we present every week are people who feel excluded, people who feel like it's not their time, or people who feel like,, you know, some people are like, you're beating a dead horse. No, no no,'re we're, no, we're not beating a dead horse. What we're doing is trying to wake you up. You know, uh, so, you know, there are people out there that of different races that can do that same thing. And a part of the reason why I say that is because there was a guy, I consider him a friend and he told me a story and I asked him if he wanted to come on the show. And he said, no, and I don't blame him, but I just want to share the story because it was a moving story. And I think a lot of this guy and, He's white, and he told me that he lived in a certain state on the East Coast of the U.S. And when he was a kid, the Klan burned a cross in his front yard because of their views, their actions on race. Something that folks may not be aware of that happens, that did happen, you know? So... There are people who have similar experiences, you know, to the knee on the neck from their own perspective that I think that might be good
3: able to that very be, interesting story.
1: That might be able to advance the cause because what you just said, Chris, was a great idea. I just think opening it up to everybody, you know, male and female, um, transgender, whoever you are, what your relig- whatever your religion, you know, let's talk about this. I'm JJ Green and I'm black.
3: I'm Chris Corr, and I'm white. And this is Colors. If you would like to contact us, we'd appreciate any suggestions for guests, uh, topic ideas, um, criticism you have of the program, of the podcast. You can write to us at Podcast at gmail.com.
0: Coming up in our next episode of Colors. This is our 25th edition of Colors.
1: Coming up in our next episode, we take a look back at what we've accomplished since the whole thing started.
2: I am a Latina living in Dallas, Texas.
0: I'm white. I'm from Des Moines, Iowa, and I live in Washington, D.C.
2: I'm black. I'm from Southwest Michigan.
3: I'm an Indian Jamaican living in the United States
1: for the last 25 years. I'm a black man from Inglewood, California. The voices
0: of our listeners. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors.
1: It's time to go again, and as we always do, we'd like to say thank you to some people. Mike Chikaitis, Cindy Benavides, James J.B. Brown, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Greg Strassel, Beth Gibbs, Kathleen Floyd, Hagar Chamali, Hillary Howard, Sean Anderson, Melissa Howell, Gretchen Soren, Angeli Chong, Dimitri Sotis, Kevin Stanfield, Jamal Bowens, and for the music, Jesse Gallagher, and Cosmic. And one more thing, COVID-19. Pretty soon, vaccines will start. But until then, please wear your mask, wash your hands, social distance, And when the vaccine comes out, please get it. This is not about forcing you to do something you don't want to do. You have a right not to, but you've got a responsibility as well to your family and friends to do all of those things. And as we go, a big thank you to you for listening. And just remember,
3: keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other.
0: You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.